and welcome back to the show. Thanks for hanging out today. I hope you're all doing well out there as the summer starts to wind down. It's back to school season for those of you with kids, so I'm sure you're going through it and all the madness that comes along with that. The last month for me has just been a complete blur, but the weather is finally starting to cool down. I'm noticing changing leaves on the trees already and i've just been plugging away at getting interviews recorded for the show for other people's shows as well and i have a whole handful of episodes i'm going to be releasing in the next couple of months i know i said a couple episodes back that i was hoping that i could do a weekly format and it worked for like one week and then it just got too crazy dealing with flood cleanup and everything else going on, but maybe I can aim to do that again soon. No promises, but we'll see. (laughs) And it's been a while since there's been any big, weird Fordian news out there that's gained a lot of attention, and I feel like I should probably mention this in case you hadn't heard. And you can find a real condensed version of me reporting on this story over on my Instagram and TikTok and YouTube. But there's this story that came out of Peru within the last week of recording this episode, which is mid-August 2023. And as I'm recording this, this has gone viral within UFO circles. So apparently... The main story is preceded by an event that happened back in early June of this year. As it turns out, there were some UFO sightings in the, and I'm not sure I'm pronouncing this right, but Massasi District of Peru, which is in the Amazon in this village that's called Denmark. And the story here is that a group of siblings were outside taking a bath when this light appeared in the sky. Now, it was reported that the children were quote-unquote fogged up and later fainted and were found to have burn marks on their bodies. But it's not clear if this light or UFO in the sky was involved or if it was something else. Local news outlets got a hold of this story and reported its local adolescents were attacked by a UFO, which also tried to take them. And this is where a phrase starts being used in conjunction with UFO and alien sightings that we'll hear about in a minute, which is the word or phrase pelicaris. In its apparently it translates to 
face peelers in English, and you'll find out why in just a minute. Now, there's this other video that surfaced, and content warning for gore here, so skip ahead if you don't want to hear some nasty details. There was this video circulating that showed the body of a unfortunate man being dragged to the shore of a river in Laredo, Peru, who was completely missing his face, scalp, eyes. The skull was completely exposed and even some of the chest cavity as well because all of the skin and muscle around this man's neck was missing too. It's a pretty brutal video, if real. And some people were saying that, oh, this was just fake based on some low-resolution screenshots, I think, or it was a guy wearing a skull mask. But if you watch the video, you'll realize that it's highly likely that this is legit. Either that or it's a really good prop. Now, some claim this is the result of a UFO or alien creature attack, and the phrase Pelicaras makes a lot more sense now in context of this body that's been found, the face peelers, this guy's missing his face. But the caveat here is that it's believed by authorities that this unfortunate dude fell in the river and his head was eaten by carnivorous fish like piranhas, although the problem there is that the opening to the neck almost looks surgical and not chewed on by an animal. I'm not as well versed in at, at what piranha wounds look like, so you know maybe that's the case. The man's body also isn't or wasn't bloated or discolored, and the bare skull looked way too clean to be the result of predation. Now, by late June, reports from another village in the remote Alto Nanai district, which is north of Massasi and deeper into the Amazon, there were these reports coming out where local leaders in the indigenous Ikitu tribe were claiming that the town was being attacked by these Los Pelicaras face peeler alien creatures. And many of them were saying these things were seven feet tall. One of the leaders was quoted as saying the following, they are extraterrestrial. They're armed, green, metal-like green goblin from Spider-Man. I've shot one of them twice and nothing happened. Instead, they lift in the air and disappear. They have a full mask, boots with a light saucer shape. Then they elevate about a meter in the air. They have a visor that's yellow in color. They see you and then they disappear. The leaders of this community had also apparently requested aid by the Peruvian military, although from what I read, this particular village is about a 10-hour boat ride from the nearest city. Now, this sounds really familiar to me. My mind immediately jumps to a story like the Kelly Hopkinsville Goblins encounter, or even the Flatwoods Monster, or some com combination of the two. 
And some people have also said that it reminds them of something like The Predator from that 80s movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger. And interestingly, in late June, the United States sent a contingent of Marines for a jungle training exercise near Iquitos, which happens to be the closest city to the Alto Nani district and probably this village as well. And at one point, apparently there was a 15 year old girl who was attacked by one of these entities or whatever or whoever they are. And it cut her neck. And there's this video that's really frantic of these locals who had just rescued her from these things that were trying to take her away. And this is all all over the Internet. So if you want to look these videos up, you can find them. I'll try to find some stuff in the show notes to link. Now, since these initial reports have come out, there's now some video of a bright light type UFO craft in the sky over a village. And there's an additional image that a villager posted online showing this brightly illuminated figure that's pretty much in the shape of a stereotypical alien, a really frail, spindly, skinny body with a large bulbous head. There's no details other than that it's completely illuminated. I suppose it could be photoshopped, but the thing to consider there is that these villagers might not have access to that kind of thing. Not sure, but apparently it only showed up for a couple of seconds and just completely vanished. But this person managed to get a picture of it before it happened and uploaded it to the internet. Now, the official explanation for this whole incident is that an illegal gold mining cartel has come to the area and in a rather Scooby-Doo episode manner, were attempting to scare the local indigenous people out of the area and were dressing up in these armored alien looking suits and also had jetpacks. Now, I can definitely see this being a cartel scaring off locals, but to Scooby-Doo it up and dress up like aliens and using jetpacks, where are you getting jetpacks <laughs> for some reason, seems more far-fetched to me than it actually being something otherworldly. I would be more inclined to believe if it was just a cartel coming there to intimidate and being more human about it and less cartoonish, I, I suppose. But the villagers obviously have access to cell phones and some modern technology and internet. So I would think they might be aware of some kind of technology like jetpacks, which are pretty loud. And I imagine unless you're trained really well with one, it would be tricky to fly one around in the jungle or just to pop up and levitate a few feet and disappear. And where are they getting bulletproof armor that ricochets off? A lot of people were saying that this is Project Bluebeam or a PSYOP or something like that. But there's just something really strange about this story. And it'll be interesting to see it develop and if anything else interesting 
comes of it. My understanding is that most people are probably going to be like, okay, they, they'll buy the official explanation that this is a illegal mining group cartel that's trying to scare the locals. That's not too hard to believe, but throwing in UFOs and aliens and face peelers makes it mm, the, might be something more to this, but we'll see. I'll uh, definitely do an update at some point, probably over on the Instagram or TikTok with some more information if anything comes out. So stay tuned. All right. Thanks for bearing with me on that news story. It's been a long time since I've I've done anything in the news. So before we get into the show, make sure to subscribe on your preferred podcasting platform and set your podcasting app to auto download so you never miss it when a new episode drops. You can also listen to and watch interview episodes over on my YouTube channel as well. Just search for Strangeology Podcast or go to youtube.com forward slash at Strangeology. So please head there and subscribe to my channel, like some videos, and make sure to hit the bell icon to get notified when new episodes and videos drop. And I want to give a warm welcome to the newest member of the Strangeology Patreon, Chaz. So welcome aboard. If you want to help support the show and the work I do, you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash strangeology. I have multiple tiers, each with an increasing amount of awesome membership benefits and perks, some of which are shoutouts, ad-free episodes, early access to episodes, as well as the members-only bonus episode extension, which is sometimes a whole episode by itself. There's also merch discounts, exclusive merch, VIP Discord room access, a t-shirt of the month club, and more. So if you love what I do, please consider checking it out and becoming a member. Your support means the world and helps keep this train going. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash strangeology. Hope to see you there. All right, coming up on this episode, I had the chance to chat with Lindsay Brisbane, who is the host of The Chilling Podcast. She comes here today with a very harrowing story. In her college years, Lindsay spent some time living in an old house in Kent, Ohio, that she rented with a couple of roommates. It seemed like a pretty innocuous situation at first. However, they quickly found out they weren't alone there and that the house harbored a darkness to it that they were powerless to stop. Now, this episode gets pretty wild and unnerving at times. So listen at your own discretion. Now, sit back and relax with your favorite beverage or snack and prepare to get creeped out. All right, folks, welcome back to the show. Today's guest is Lindsay Brisbane, a lifelong researcher and experiencer of the paranormal. Lindsay is also the host of The Chilling, which is a 13-part series, a podcast chronicling the disturbing and horrifying supernatural encounters that she went through while living in a very, very haunted home in Ohio. So hi, Lindsay. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. How are you doing? And can you let my listeners know a little bit more about your background? 
Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. And thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited to be here. So background-wise, I have been experiencing, we'll call it strange phenomenon, you know, uh, since I was a child. And in my family growing up, um, we've all had a lot of experiences. My mother explained to me at an early age that we'll call them abilities run in our family, especially on her side. And so I was raised initially to not think it's weird to, you know, dream things before it happens or, you know, uh, have experiences with ghosts and things of that nature. Um, I even encountered a demon with my parents once. Um, so I never thought it was weird. And then when I got to be about in yeah, like sixth grade or so, I realized, oh, most people don't experience things like this and you are already weird enough. Uh, let's not talk about it. So I really didn't, you know, let people know what I could do or what was going on or my experiences until I was probably in my 20s is when I started to kind of, you know, admit to things more or talk about things more. Yeah. And that's that's a hard thing to navigate um, because most people are kind of blind to this kind of stuff and it doesn't really fit into their worldview. And you talk to people that experience this kind of stuff and they're like, I know what I saw. I know what I experienced. And it's up to you to decide whether or not you can accept that for your own reality, you know? <laughs> so absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Now you re you created this, this series, your podcast, the chilling, and it's based on, actual events that happened uh, some time ago, from what I understand, what decided to uh, make you get to the point where you wanted to tell your story to the world all these years later? So, you know, out of all the paranormal things I've encountered in my life, I have experienced nothing like I did in that house. And as the popularity of paranormal shows and movies continued to grow and I would watch them and I realized, you know, for example, the Conjuring films, if you hear from the actual family members, they say that it's a gross exaggeration. A majority of what's in the movie isn't even what happened, you know, that sort of thing. And I would hear that and think, okay, but in my house, which was as scary as the Conjuring, those things did actually happen. And I started to put together that most hauntings that people experience were nothing compared to what I went through, my roommates went through. And it just kept nagging me because I would be like, I just assume when you watch a movie like The Conjuring or you watch a movie like Amityville, that that's exactly what happened. I mean, you know, it's fictionalized. But then you start to, you know, watch more docs and things and read more and you go, oh, it is kind of really jazzed up for Hollywood. And I thought my story isn't jazzed up and it's just as scary. But also I couldn't get over what happened. Why me? Why my roommates? What's in this house? Why was it this bad? Um, and I couldn't let it go. And so when COVID happened, I just thought, I'm going to do this because I had so many people on the West Coast and people on the East Coast that I knew that were like, you should write a movie script or you should turn it into a TV show. And I didn't have the means to do either. But during COVID, I had the time to do a podcast. So I had to teach myself everything to create this. I had never done one before. And as I started deep diving and researching and, and digging up more information, it really started to become a huge story. I thought it would take me six months um, to make this story. It took me three years. Wow. That's a, <laughs> that's a huge undertaking. Um, what was the whole process of production like 
well, like putting the whole show together because you bring on different people and you're like recounting your story and, and stuff like that. You know, how did that all kind of go for you? It went really well. I, you know, it was funny because a lot of people love that when you hear this show, if you're a skeptic, this is as much for you as it is for believers. Because when I wanted to tell the story, I was like, okay, I know I, I know what I think happened, but I've got to, I try to approach it like a journalist. I had to remove myself and my emotions from a majority of what I was doing because I wanted to see, could other things be responsible for causing a haunting? And if so, what could that be? Because my brother-in-law at the time was not really a believer. And I have other friends and family members that are, you know, skeptics. And I thought, well, I don't want them to be excluded from listening. I want to explore things that could maybe give them answers to these bigger questions. So that's when I started reaching out to different experts in, in the paranormal field, in neurology, um, psychology, because I thought maybe there are other answers. Maybe there was something more going on. And at first I thought, man, I'm going to probably get, get met with some resistance from some of these people, you know, especially if they're not from the paranormal community. And on the contrary, they were super intrigued. So I had to treat it like I wrote the scripts, much like you'd write a novel, a book. I had to gather all my information, edit down all my interviews, listen to everything, and then work really hard to put it in a format that is almost like an audio book. And that was kind of my goal. Yeah. And it's, I have to say, uh, I haven't listened to the whole series, but I've made it about halfway through and just like the production value on it is, is great. You know, I sit here thinking about my podcast. I'm just talking into the into the void for most of the, most of my episodes and and uh you've really got it locked down with uh your editing style and everything so uh it's it's been an enjoyable show so far uh for sure now before um i do want to get into talking to you know some of your experiences and kind of your your background with the history of this this house that you lived in but i was wondering was there you mentioned when you were growing up you you experienced encountering like a demonic presence with your parents. Was there kind of a, a catalyst moment in your early life that stands out to you the most that kind of real, where you realized you were, you were drawn to, or you were attracting Fordian phenomena and high strangeness? You know, I had so many things happen. It's kind of crazy that to pin it all down is so difficult because I, like I said, I realized as I got older that not many people have the amount of experiences that I do. And then I started to realize, like, I think I'm really tapped into the other side. But uh, the first thing I can really recall is knowing 100%. I mean, I had things moving in my room, for example. Um, I had these ceramic dolls, porcelain dolls, of course, the creepy kind you would imagine in like an antique shop or something. Um, and I had a bunch of them on stands. And I started to notice that when I would go to sleep and wake up in the morning, they'd be in other places, they'd be moved around. So I started deliberately setting them up in very specific ways to see if they would be moved and they would be moved overnight. And I started asking my parents about it. And obviously they were like, what are you talking about? So, you know, they were cool though. They always believed me. So they got rid of them. They're like, fine, then they're out of your room. You don't have to have them. So I had little stuff like that going on a lot in my house, you know, things would go missing and then just reappear and just odd things. Like something was trying to get my attention, but I had to be around, I don't know, maybe 10-ish. And I was home doing the dishes and I heard from my basement, something calling my name. 
And it sounded like my mother. And it was just Lindsay, Lindsay. And I remember I turned off the water and I heard it still going. And I saw, what is my mom doing at home? Because it sounded like her voice. And then I realized, I looked at the clock and I was like, she's not home from work for like another hour. And I was like, oh my God, there's someone in the house, but it sounds like my mom. And it kept going. And then I thought about something that my mom had told me, which was, if you think you hear something that's you know from the other side and it's scary or dark, don't acknowledge it. So it kept going. And I remember I just turned on the water and kept doing the dishes. And probably the entire time I did the dishes, I heard it calling me from the basement. And then when my parents came home, I told my mom what happened. And she's like, you did the right thing, like way to ignore it, whatever it was. But after that, I had never been scared of my basement. And after that, I wouldn't go down there without my dog. I just wouldn't do it. And that was like the first time I was like, something really is trying to get my attention from the other side. Wow, that's uh, definitely definitely a haunting experience for lack of like a better descriptor <laughs> there. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty interesting for sure. Um, and I've mentioned it to my listeners before, but you know the house I I grew up in had some strange activity growing up as well. So like I can identify with like feeling like like there's something watching you going around the house or having a family member hear a voice call their name in the middle of the night and the room gets cold and you're like, what's going on? <laughs> so yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's a weird world out there for sure. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks for sharing that. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Of course. Um, now, Obviously, this this story in your podcast is the most scary series of events that you've experienced. And this was in Kent, Ohio. Mm -hmm. um, and you were this is when you were like college in college. Right. Yep. Um, th this place already has kind of like a tragic history to it with the late 1960s and Vietnam War protests and stuff like that. So. Um, were you from Ohio originally or how did you find yourself arriving in, in Kent for, for school? Yeah. So interestingly enough, um, I grew up just outside of Cleveland, Ohio, and my sister had gone to Kent and um, I originally wanted to go to an art focused college. But my parents were like, listen, that's where your sister went. That's where you're going. It kind of they put their foot down. I was like, okay, I guess I'll go, you know, whatever. Um, and they had a really great art program because in their program, it's a state run college. So you still have to take quite a few kind of regular courses. So I was there for five years. I did a year of graphic design and then four years of fine art. And um, yeah, with all the history there too, I mean, I encountered actually several ghosts prior to this house on that campus. And I used to have to actually walk across the um, where the May 4th shooting was to get to my art building every day, oh, wow. twice a day. And th th this is a sidebar, but hilarious story The the f I didn't realize it was my first year there. Um, and I'm walking back from my classes really late at night. And there must have been, I mean, hundreds of candles lit. It looked like something from some sort of Satanistic, pagan, crazy situation all on this huge hill, this huge field, hundreds of candles. There's no one around. And I had to walk back by myself. And I remember thinking, this is it. I'm going to be a human sacrifice. Like, what is going on? And then when I got back to my room, my roommate's like, that's where the shooting was. And today's May 4th. And I was like, 
oh, that makes sense. But they never did that again. I don't know why. That first year I was there, this candle situation, which was out of control. And it was the craziest, creepiest thing. Um, But yeah. And so I ended up there just going to school. Um, You know, I had some encounters prior to this house, but then this house definitely takes the cake. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, And everyone listening, of course, go check out Lindsay's podcast uh, for sure to get the whole scoop on everything. But I'm wondering, um, can you give like an overview of this place that you lived in? I know it's uh, being in Kent, Ohio, it's not like a cabin in the woods type of place. Mm -hmm. But throughout listening, listening to the show, I'm like getting major evil dead vibes in my mind's eye and was there like a history of this house and you know what were the first signs that there was like something off with it yeah so i mean um this house what's so interesting about it is when we watch horror films that deal with the paranormal it's always like kind of a secluded looking home or something this house is adorable and in a nice suburban community it is not where you would imagine a house like this would be and it doesn't fit the bill even from the outside seeing it um and it's funny because people who listen to my show will send me photos and be like this is the house i know it's the house and i laugh because it's almost like more urban folklore is being created around all these homes in Kent and none of them are the house. And it cracks me up because people are trying so hard to figure out what house it is. But it was this little white house, super cute, super quaint, nice neighborhood, super close to the neighbors, not a lot of land or anything. And I remember that when we first saw the house, you know, I go through it early on, but we had this really weird exchange with the landlords. But truly, the first thing I think that really tipped us off that something's different here is after we moved in, um, you know, when we had seen the house with the landlords, they kind of tried to prevent us from really going in the basement and looking around. And we got to, but it was like they let us down. They're like, okay, let's move on. It's a basement, you know? Um, And so... When we moved in, one of the first things me and my two roommates, Reba and Amber, did was let's go look in the basement. And we got down there, and on the wall was this symbol. And you know, it gives me chills just thinking about it. And all th- all three of us were like, you just got this weird feeling inside you. Like, this is bad. You know, like it didn't even look like a cool, like you know, like some metal band was down there. Some kids put up a pentagram. It looked like something the Blair Witch would make or something. It looked ancient and weird. And it made you very uncomfortable to look at it. And both of them, me included, we were just like, does that look like a cult, like Satanistic? Like, what is that? And it just made you feel uneasy. And after that, originally, we were going to store a bunch of stuff in the basement. And when we saw that, we were kind of like, nah, we're going to keep most stuff upstairs, like in this other weird little room. Now, for me, what's crazy is most of the time when you watch stories, it seems like there's like a buildup to when the person goes, this house is haunted. Like, you know, all these things are happening. And not for me, it started day one, night one. Uh, And I thought this cannot be happening. Like there was no buildup for me. You know, there was no climatic moment. It was instant. 
Now, the first thing I can say that I really noticed and felt um, was that I was being watched, like you said, in your home growing up. And, you know, it's an unmistakable feeling. I don't care if you're in a line at a grocery store or at a party. Sometimes you can just feel someone's looking at you and you turn and you're right. And they kind of do that awkward, like look away. Um, So we all know what that feeling feels like. And I often tell people who haven't had a lot of paranormal experiences, that's what it feels like, like someone's looking at you. And I would just sense it like in a corner, in the bathroom, in the kitchen, I could tell that something was following me around this house and just watching me. So one day, I don't know how I got up the courage. I was actually in my bedroom. And in the one corner, I could feel that this thing was staring at me. And I thought, if there's something there, I'm going to feel it. So I walk on up to it and I stick my hand into it. And I mean, instant regret. I had never, you know, in shows and movies, they talk about entities like being cold spots or all this. Truth be told, I've had, yeah, right. So I've had a lot of paranormal experiences, but I've never felt the chill, right? Hence why the show's called The Chilling. Um, I had never actually felt that before. This was undeniable. It was like sticking your arm into like a winter storm or something and then pulling it back to normal temperature. And I went, there's something standing there, you know? And um, so that was like the first cue. This is right away. You know, the next thing, which I so much happened in this house, I can't fit it all in the podcast. So this is a good story for your listeners because I don't think it's in the show. Um, My closet was huge. I had the biggest closet in the house and um, it was square. It wasn't it was a walk in, but not like a modern walk in. Think of many years ago what their walk in would be. So it was square and big, lots of space. And I remember I went to hang my clothes up and I went. I don't think I'm going to put anything on the back of this. You know, I'll just leave my stuff on the side. And I would get this almost like you were walking into a bear's cave. I don't know. You just felt dangerous in this closet. So I would keep the closet closed, obviously, because who wants to sleep in the dark with a closet door open? Um, And all of a sudden you would hear the handle like clicking and the door would... Open. (laughs) Yeah. And I would be like, oh God, how did that happen? You know, because these, this house had very old doors. And so, you know, older homes, when you push them shut and the little mechanism comes out, you have to turn the handle to open the door. Right. Right. Homes back then were very well constructed. So, I mean, this is not something that could just happen. So the first few times you're like, yeah, okay. And then I'd be in my room. It could be during the day even. And I would actually hear it click, click, click. And then it would swing open. Stop. I'd look at it and I'd watch it swing all the way open. So it would actually stop movement and then open the rest of the way. So it was pretty clear that something was pushing this door. So I was like, okay, I'm done with this. So I actually secured the door open, putting a bunch of heavy stuff on it because I figured, well, you know, if it's going to keep doing whatever this thing is, keeps doing this, it's I'll just leave the door open. But I actually was having trouble at that point going inside the closet because of how bad the feeling was. So what I had to do was, um, my husband and I were just talking about this. I actually folded all my laundry, uh, or laundry, all my laundry, underwear, socks, you name it all my laundry. And I actually had to put it against the wall 
because I couldn't put it in my closet anymore. And anything that was super nice, like a dress or something that I needed to wear, I'd actually have to put it in the very front so I could just grab it. So I had this huge closet that I wouldn't put clothes in. I wouldn't walk in. And I had to keep all my stuff lined up against the wall on the floor. And at night, I could just feel it sitting in there and just staring at me. It was awful. Yikes. Yeah, that's definitely disconcerting. An open closet door at night is a a big no-no. Or like even just like mirrors are creepy too, right? (laughs) Absolutely. And I think it's just like you feel better sleeping knowing that doors are shut. I'm a kid. I'm, you know, my husband's always asking me, why do you shut the doors? I'm the, I'm a child of firefighters and it's just fire protection safety. Just keep your door shut. It's like a thing I learned. So sleeping with a door open like that just really bothered me, but it bothered me more knowing that something's in there. And I could almost tell it was mad at me for securing the door open because it liked to do that thing it was doing. So then one night I'm laying in bed And, um, I had my nightlight on this little table, uh, which would be closest to the door. And I turned it off and I rolled over to go to sleep. And I always kind of slept on the side of the bed nearest to the light in the door. Cause that's what I would turn off. And, um, as I rolled over, I felt something push against the mattress, like as if, if somebody had like taken their knees and leaned into the mattress or their thighs. Like I felt that push hard. And I remembered thinking there's something standing against my bed. Like, holy smokes. Again, don't know where I got the guts to do this. The guts didn't last very long in this house, but I rolled over and it was dark, but I could feel the pressure on the mattress. So I took my hand and I stuck it into where I thought it was and it was cold. And then I straightened my arm and my hand came out the other side and it was normal temperature. So now I could feel like on my wrist to like my, just before my bicep, this thick, cold difference in temperature. And I remember waving my arm back and forth and feeling my whole arm go in and out of it. And then I just remembered going, oh my God. And I rolled over, pulled the covers over my head. And then I felt the two thighs or knees release from the mattress. And I saw it, whatever that was, I did exactly what it wanted. And that's a really bad decision. Like that was bad. Um, so yeah, that's the kind of stuff initially that it started, you know, really weird stuff. Yeah. So do you think the the kind of acknowledgement that like, now it knows that you know that it's there. It kind of started to maybe attach itself more to physical reality and was able to start messing around more. Yeah, I think that a lot of times over my experience, and the more that I am learning and doing, I would say I definitely have psychic and medium type like abilities. I just never looked at it that way in my life. So I think when it comes to things from the other side, you know, once you can see them, they can see you. So it's like they know, oh, she can tell where I am in the house. She tried to touch me. She touched me again. Like, they start to go, okay, like this is somebody I can interact with on a whole other level. They actually can tell that I'm here. Like most of the time I'm creeping people out, but like they don't know where I am in a room. This person can turn and see me. Like, but I actually couldn't see it in the daytime, like at all. I never, thank God, um, that would have been too much for me. But it started to really amp things up in this time. And the next big thing that started happening was my TV. Now I had this big old, 
boob tube style. You know, all you youngins won't know what I'm talking about. Maybe you've seen it in a movie. <laughs> yeah, the, the old CRTs that weigh 200 pounds. Yeah, yeah so heavy. It took two <laughs> people to, to carry this sucker. It was huge, like just in weight, not in screen. And it was on my floor. And the first time it happened, it was at night when I was going to sleep. And I had already been dealing with the closet door. I had already been dealing with the, the cold spots. But I'm like laying down just to fall, about to fall asleep. And my TV goes on static, full volume. I mean, as if you cranked this puppy up. I mean, launched me out of bed. And I had to jump up and turn it off. And I just remember my heart racing and me being like, holy crap. And it was so weird because I don't, I did the way that my cable was hooked up in this house. I didn't have a static channel anymore. Back in the day, you'd have these weird static channels where you could like, you know, loop in your VCR DVD player. And it was kind of where you switched your TV to, to kind of analog or whatever it was called. But the way the cable was hooked up, the guy had been really nice and illegally hooked me up cable. It (laughs) removed the static channel. So I just had either straight cable or I had DVD or or, uh, VCR that would just play. Um, But I no longer had a static channel. So I remember trying to replicate this and I never could. I could never replicate it because I didn't have a static channel. And the only way to turn the volume up on this old TV, when I turned my TV on, it was at whatever volume it had been turned off at. So to crank up the volume, you either, either had to use the remote or the TV buttons. So the first time it happened scared me to death. Second, third, fourth, fifth, I started to realize this is to scare me. And it would go off at times that were very, um, I don't know, as a human, when you're caught off guard, like I remember a lot of times like putting on clothes and when my head was covered, like you're pulling down your t-shirt or sweater or pulling it up, the TV would do this and it would just you'd be like so violated and so scared. And then you'd have to rush to turn it off. Um, Or I'd be leaving my room. Like I'd be late to class. Like I'd be scrambling. I'd be so late and I'd just go to walk out my door and boom, it would go off again. And I have to run back in or I might drop all my art supplies and I have to pick everything up. It was as if it was picking the, the best times possible to really mess with me and make my TV do this. That's definitely, um, (laughs) <laughs> a startling phenomena. Um, I would probably not enjoy that very much either. <laughs> it was so scary. So freaky. Yeah. So eventually, um, as far as I've, I've gotten into the show, you, you seem to have had your, your dreams invaded by this thing where you were able to realize what it was that you were dealing with um Mm -hmm. can you speak on 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 that a little bit absolutely so again as i'm telling you all these things that are happening keep in mind everybody this isn't a progression this is from the beginning first week week one this is all starting at the same time so i go to go to sleep Now, I've had maybe in my life, maybe a handful of reoccurring dreams at random, though. It's not like all the time, you know, Um, but I've never had something like repetitive. And I go to go to sleep first night I'm in the house and I wake up sitting on the couch downstairs. And I literally to put it, I do a good job of explaining it in the show, but I really thought I was downstairs, like for sure. And I could look around and I was like, how did I get down here? I don't sleepwalk or anything. Like, what's going on? And I look in this hallway, which is where the bathroom was. 
And I kind of start to see that it's the silhouette of a person and they had longer hair. And at first I actually thought it was my roommate, Rebecca, because she had very long hair. But as I'm looking and I'm starting to kind of focus in the darkness, I can see that she's wearing like this old kind of old fashioned nightgown. And I'm thinking, Rupa wouldn't wear that. And why is also she just standing there? And then suddenly I just couldn't move my body, like frozen stiff. This thing, the way I can see it in the light, I'll never forget, begins to levitate off the floor. And its feet are perfectly together, toes pointed. And it comes floating at me and then snap. Its arms go up. And it's literally like mimicking um, Christ's crucifixion. Like it looks exactly like Christ on the cross. Like its head is hanging down, feet together, arms out, just suspended there. And so, boom, I wake up. I'm back in my bed. Um, and I'm, I still can't move. So now I'm in my bed awake and I'm suffering something I've never experienced before, which is sleep paralysis. But now I'm awake in my room from this crazy dream. Eventually I get my body loose. I sit up, I'm covered in sweat, holy smokes. I go back to sleep. Well, as soon as I go back to sleep, I'm on the couch. I'm looking in the, in the hallway. I see her begin to float. Out she comes, arms go up, brace pose. We're talking again and again. By the end of that first week, I thought, I've never gone this long only dreaming one thing over and over and over again. And it progressively got worse, you know, and scarier. And the longer I stayed asleep, um, the further the dream went. So it started to become me in this dream trying to get myself to wake up. And this started to affect me on many levels because now I didn't want to go to sleep anymore because I was like, when I go to sleep, this is what I'm dealing with. I even tried because people always ask this of me. Oh, did you sleep anywhere else to see if it was better? I sure did. I slept at my sister's house. I slept at my boyfriend's crummy little apartment. Um, anywhere I went, the dream continued. And oh, then wow. I started, yeah. So then I started to get scared because my sister's house and, and I thought, I don't want this traveling anywhere because clearly it can travel. So I'm just going to have to deal with this. So I would stay up as late as I could every single night. I mean, I could fall asleep anywhere in any position. Like, and I would try not to just like the kids from nightmare on Elm street, man. I was like pounding sugar and candy. I mean, I would do anything to stay awake. Yeah. And then I'd fall asleep and the being would come. And I think when I look back, what bothers me most is once it kind of got into my face, I could smell its hair. I mentioned it, but I could smell dirty, unwashed, old hair. And the smell of it, I started to realize, like, not only could I see it, I could physically feel it touching me. I could smell its smell. Um, and it was just sickening. And I could wake up from these nightmares, by the way. Um, there were parts where it screamed at me. And when it screamed, the scream was so loud. I actually woke up and my eardrums would pop. Like I would actually wake up my ears, it's screaming and my eardrums would physically pop and it would wake me up from the pain. Um, so it was affecting me in this dream state, but also must have been affecting me in the physical world for it to make my actual eardrums pop. It's crazy. Yeah, that's that's wild. Now, you kind of determined that this thing was female or at least presenting as as female, which makes me think of uh, a lot of like archetypes that are in many different cultures around the world, like uh, a woman in white, um, like the hag or La Llorona in Latin American folklore. 
Do you think this was something similar to those old folk tales? You know, I I talk about it at one point in the podcast. Like I talk about her being a woman in white and all the accounts of a woman in white in, in the world and in the country. And so I clearly we have one. But I also always thought this. I don't nest. I it, it, what I will say is it's not human. So you know, I think it takes. You know how in Ghostbusters when they like choose your fall. You know that part and. You know, Ray accidentally p- picks the state puff marshmallow man. I, looking back, if somebody said, well, do you think it was really a woman in white or a, I would say no. I think around this time, movies like The Ring and The Grudge were huge. And I think that this thing went into our minds and said, that movie, The Ring, really freaked them all out. I'm going to present just like that girl. because oh, that super interesting. And I think it assumed a form that would scare us all the most. And for example, the movie The Ring at the time freaked me out. It freaked out my then boyfriend, now husband. It freaked out my roommate, Amber. No, I didn't know anybody who didn't see the movie and was disturbed. And so I always feel looking back, I mean, I don't mention this in my podcast, but I think it chose the scariest form for the group. Like it was like for this group of people, what would be the scariest thing? Oh, they were all so scared of that movie. I'll be her. That'll be fun. Like it was wearing it like a costume. And I know what was wearing it like a costume because in my nightmare, its face would come off and I saw what was below and that was not a human being. So I think it wore the little girl from the ring as a costume to freak us out. Wow. Wow. <laughs> that is definitely really interesting. I've never thought of uh you know spiritual otherworldly entities kind of playing that kind of game to manipulate and terrorize uh people um but that doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility anymore at least uh <laughs> from your descriptions now do you think this thing has been there for a long time is it um demonic or just like an angry spirit uh some sort of interdimensional energy sucking vampire being like what what do you think it it was yeah i after you know not to do too much of a spoiler alert you hear about it if you go listen to the whole show (laughs) but let's just say i tracked down a lot of people who had experiences in this house beyond me and my roommates and what i can tell you is that we'd all agree it's a demon Um, And I've had enough interaction with human spirits and other things to know that what I encountered in that house was for sure demonic. And um, I feel that with the research that was done, I think it was part of the land. You know, I think that it was just part of the area. And I think that whoever put that symbol on the wall accidentally brought it to the house um, and tied it to the house. Interesting. Yeah. So I think that whether somebody was putting up a protection or they were conjuring things in the basement, because this symbol, again, is not your classic, like, hey, I'm doing witchcraft or I'm in a cool metal band. This is weird. like some weird looking stuff. And um, it made you sick to look at it. And what's strange to think about this symbol, talk about this later in the show, but none of the landlords bothered to paint over it. Like if I own the house, I would take one look at that thing and be like, I can't have people renting here looking at this. Like this is so weird. Um, but yet nobody covered it up. Nobody painted it. So it made me feel like it even bothered the landlord so much that no one wants to touch it. Like no one wants to touch this symbol. 
or that that thing in the house gets power from it and is like, no one will touch my symbol. Like it's blocking it. Like, do not touch my thing. So I think it must have been just out and about in the world or in the land. You know, I know that the land was originally belonged to First Nations people, was taken over by, I believe his name is Marvin Kent, who Kent is named after. So I think that somebody accidentally brought this thing into the house or intentionally, but either way, that's where it came from. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, kind of reminds me of you know watching shows like the supernatural and they use all sorts of sigils and and stuff to conjure or trap things but you mentioned that the this entity was able to follow you uh in some some capacity so probably not something that's binding it or Mm -hmm. trapping it there (laughs) so at what point uh were you living there and uh, did you realize that um, it was no longer safe to live in the house. Yeah. So, um, you know, this isn't actually in the podcast, but I'll tell this brief story because it sets a good stage. My roommate in the room at the bottom of my stairs, you'll hear about became started changing drastically. I mean, seriously. And, um, we were worried that she was maybe suicidal or had hurt herself in her room and she'd be fine. You know, we wouldn't hear from her for days, but Anyways, the stairwell to my room was really weird because usually stairwells, not always, but usually they're open on one side or the other into another room. This was like a tube almost, like it was completely sealed off. And so it had a very kind of narrow, just made you uncomfortable. I just, every time I was on this friggin' stairwell, I just felt off. So I would hang up my paintings in the stairwell. Um, which they were all over the house, by the way, but I hung up a bunch of huge canvases. And because the stairwell was so small, the canvases almost took up the whole wall. Um, just to give it a little bit of life and color and just something. And I would come home and my roommate, Rebecca, would be livid because in front of her door would be all of my paintings from the stairwell, basically stacked against the door, like as if somebody put them there. Not like they fell, like somebody put them there. So she would be like, I'm sick of coming out. You've got stuff all over the stair. You know, it's like coming down, like, you know, hang up your stuff, man. I'm sick of this. So my boyfriend at the time, Adam, um, he goes, clearly you're not doing this right. You know, let me give it a shot. And I said, please do. I've used so much to hang it. So he becomes so determined and obsessed with this that he must have used hundreds of tacks, literally around the entire, each canvas had hundreds of tacks. Then he taped them to the wall. Okay, because he was like this and not coming down. So we've got nails in the back, tacks around the edges, tape holding them to the wall. He's like, I don't care if it destroys the wall. Like, this makes no sense. I'm putting it up. And I come home from school and Rebecca is like, look. And all the paintings are stacked against her door, as they always would be. And the whole stairs, which were carpeted, and the whole bottom of the floor, hundreds of tacks everywhere. Not a single one left in the wall. Wow. Tape just dangling, taxed like somebody just threw them. Wow. <laughs> Jeez. And I went, oh, God, this thing can move stuff. And not only can it move it, how did it do this? And um, so I was like, okay, no more paintings on the stairwell. But the, the time after that, which that's why I told that story, I really knew we're in trouble here. I had gone to the bathroom and I was in the bathroom And when you would be in there, you know, Rebecca talks about it in the show a little bit. I've never been in a space other than maybe that closet that made me feel so uncomfortable. 
you knew you weren't alone in the bathroom, which is so weird. Like you'd be showering and like keep opening the curtain, you know, to be <sighs> like, is someone in here? Yeah. And then there'd be the times where you have like soap in your eyes. Like I would shower with my eyes basically open because I would be like, clearly there's something in here and um, I'm freaking out. And I, I would just get soap in my eyes all the time because I'd be like, I don't want to close my eyes. But anyways, this night I'm brushing my teeth, going through my routine and I go to leave the bathroom and I'll never forget hearing the floor creak behind me. And I just froze. And then I felt a woman press her body against the back of my body, like hard chest. I could feel her tummy, her hips, boom, right against the back of me. And I was like, this can't be real. So the way the mirror was, it was over my left shoulder. I was able to turn my head and look in the mirror and I could see my back in the mirror and there was no one standing there. And I remember I turned and faced the hall again. And this hall would be where she floated in my dreams. And I'm just like, what do you do? Like, this can't be real. This can't be real. And all of a sudden, I just felt someone blow really hard on the back of my neck. Like not even an exhale, like a, but they like blew. And it made my hair move. And I thought, that's it. Run for your life. And I took off running and I could hear it running behind me. I get to the stairwell. And as I go to go up the stairs, two hands grab my ankles and pull me. And I was running so fast it was the last thing I even physically thought of that when I hit, if it's like if a little kid took a Barbie by its feet and just smacked it, when it grabbed me, I was running so fast. I remember I hit my face right on the stairs. Ouch. So I, yeah, <laughs> so I, right. And I'm running for my life. I feel something grab me. I hit my face, but I hit my face so hard. I thought I broke my nose. So I turned around to sit down and I could taste blood in my mouth. I remember but I was like checking my nose to see if blood was coming out my nose. And it wasn't, but I could taste it running down my throat and in my mouth. And as I'm sitting there, all of a sudden I had like a realization, like, why were you running? Like my, my brain and body went, wait, you were running for a reason. And I was sitting there and I looked down at my legs and I see my left leg. Um, I feel a hand rip my, my leg really hard and then tug it as hard as it could. And I watched my leg go straight and I literally went, Boom, boom, down two sets, of, like down the stairs. Oh, man. And I took off up into my room. And after that, that's when I knew I was like, this is now crossing all lines. Like, if it can pull me down the stairs. And I'd like to say it happened once, it happened all the time. It would chase me at random all the time. Jeez. Yeah, that's not safe. <laughs> um, and I was, I was also, I was going to ask, you know, what, um, what your roommate, uh, what your roommates experienced and what their reaction was. And so you had the one roommate who was in her room all the time. You feared that she might be suicidal, uh, but she was okay. What, what was the reaction of the other roommate in the house? Can you talk about that for a second? Yeah. So Amber would be the other roommate. Now, Amber is the kind of person. So weirdly enough, the one of the bedrooms actually had the basement door in the room. And when we all saw that, we were like, oh, no, thank you. But Amber's like, eh, I don't care about anything. I got this. I'll sleep in that room because Amber really didn't believe in anything. She didn't believe in, you know, I, I don't really even think she believed that much in God. I mean, I think she just was just like, there's nothing there's, you know, so she could, she was the kind of person that like, wasn't even afraid to be home alone with like the lights off walking around. Like she could care less. Like if it saved money, turn the lights off and I'll just walk around in the dark. Like she was just such a practical person um, that, that none of this occurred to her. 
So, you know, she started noticing that I was becoming more fearful. She definitely was noticing that our friend who we hung out with all the time no longer left her bedroom. We didn't know when she went to the bathroom, when she ate. I mean, we never saw her in there. Um, but Amber was experiencing absolutely nothing, like nothing at all. And um, if things did happen early on, like, for example, again, so much happened in this house, I couldn't fit it all in. But we would be on the couch and a kitchen cupboard could just pop open. And it was the kind of kitchen cupboard where it's like when you push it, it has like the metal prongs and it kind of clicks in. So you have to pull it out and you would hear pop and then it would just like swing open and we'd be on the couch together. And I'd be like, did you see that? And she would just look and go, yeah. And I'd be like, did you like, and she's like, it's an old house, man. Things like that happen. So even if I was with her and weird things were happening, you know, she was like, no way, you know, no, thank you. She ended up having one big experience, but I'll I'll recommend you guys go check out the show to hear it. But I can tell you this next one because something happened to Amber and and this part isn't in the show either. Um, So a little spoilers and treats for your listeners. But, um, you know, Amber ends up having an experience that changes her whole life and you can hear about it in the show. But um, after that, Amber was on our team. You know, it's my husband, well, then boyfriend, Adam, me and Amber that are now fully aware that this house has got some dark, dark stuff. But at the time, internet was around, but it isn't what it is now. And, you know, trying to locate help was really difficult. We didn't know what to do. I had reached out to a lot of people. And honestly, I rarely heard back if ever. And if I did, it was a flat out no. And um, a lot of my emails went unanswered from paranormal investigators and groups like nobody would get back to me, which looking back now, I'm always suspicious that something in the house has something to do with that. Because in this day and age, if somebody wrote into any group, and was like, hey, I'm dealing with it. They'd be jumping at, you know, they're just to come and nothing. So I had never seen the original Amityville horror movie. And I said to the two of them, well, maybe we can like, you know, glean a little information as to what works or doesn't work or what we can try or what not to do in this house from yeah. this film. Yeah, I was going to ask, was like, there anything you started to do to to wage battle against this thing to try and get it to at least chill out a bit. (laughs) Yeah. So this would be the first thing. The first thing we did after me, I mean, emailing and calling churches, emailing all kinds of uh, paranormal groups and mediums and psychics. Nobody would get back to me. I think one church did and was like, no, we don't do that. I was like, okay. So this was the first idea that we had, which was let's watch an actual movie about a haunting and see what happens. We get maybe 15, 20 minutes in the movie. And all I can say is that in this house, this house had like it had an atmosphere and that atmosphere could change almost like you're on a foreign planet it could go from being like a normal space to the air becoming thick to it feeling heavy to it feeling dense um and you would start to feel it rising around you so we're watching the movie we're not even that far in and you can feel that the atmosphere is changing in the house but in my head i'm like oh well it always does this when it's about to pop off and do something crazy like let's just get through the film very quickly practical amber says i don't think we should be watching this movie very quickly on my other side adam says yeah man i don't think i should be watching we should watch this like something's happening in the house i can feel it happening and i was like yeah maybe not and then all of a sudden i look left and we had this back porch um with sliding glass doors which was basically the main entrance to the house because of where we would park and I look and I see this glowing green light 
like like the lantern from Great Gatsby, if you've ever seen that movie. But I mean, like a glowing green, bright light, illuminating the back porch, like kind of hovering there. And I go, whoa, what's that? And Amber and Hannah both look and they're like, what the heck is that? I'm like, you guys see it. They're like, what is that green light? It's huge. It's so bright. Now the movie's amping up in the background. We're staring at the green light. And in the distance, very evil dead here, all of a sudden you start to see coming towards the back porch, this fog, this thick fog. And it rolls slowly up the back steps. It hits the glass door so hard that when it hits it, it goes straight up. And now this green light is illuminating this fog that we are all staring at. The fog is now coming into a mass, like getting thicker and thicker and thicker. And just as that's happening, Amber runs, turns off the TV and says, we got to get out of here now. And so we all went and stayed at my boyfriend's apartment. Like we fled the house. So the next day we're like, well, let's try to debunk this. Like that is impossible. Like what we saw happen is clearly impossible is what we were thinking. Um, and I said, well, maybe, you know how at the holidays, sometimes to save money and be like less creative, people put like a green light bulb in their, you know, porch or something. Mind you, there's no porches behind our house, but we're like, who knows? We'll find the green light. And the three of us spend quite some time snooping around all the neighbors' houses, looking for green light bulbs. We look under the porch. We look, you know, anything behind that, no green light anywhere. And so, you know, that was another thing that happened as a group that you start to go, this thing has like more than just abilities. Like this thing can do that. Whatever it was doing, we had no clue. So after that, a rule was made. No talking about the entity in the house ever. Because when you did, activity picked up and no more horror movies of any kind in the house as long as we lived there because it clearly gave it some sort of energy. Yeah. Wow. That's wild. (laughs) Uh, talk about spooky if there was a dictionary definition of uh, <laughs> something you know and like it's kind of like how appropriate that you were watching Amityville <laughs> that something like that would have uh, manifested that's just wild <laughs> yeah and it is and funny enough listeners beware to my show I have had even people I know tell me that while listening to my podcast that they're experiencing paranormal activity. I've had two people I am friends with who don't, they're not that much into the paranormal, by the way, at all. So it's not like they're asking for it. They had to quit listening to the show because one of them had stuff moving in their house. And she's like, I want to support you and listen to the show. But it literally, objects started moving in my home. I could see it happening and I'm done. Like I cannot have that in my life. And I was like, whoa. So I've gotten quite a few people writing me that they're experiencing odd things especially during really scary episodes. Um, Somebody even wrote it, like some people have suddenly started having sleep paralysis, um, nightmares, night terrors, like, but also like paranormal actual activity happening in their house. So I do believe after living in the house I lived in that sometimes when you watch and listen to that stuff and that stuff's aware of it in your environment, it it just helps them to kind of, you know, feed off that. Right, right. You got to be, you got to tread carefully and, uh, you know, be careful with this kind of stuff and, and not invite uh unwanted uh negative entities or whatever they are um into your life because uh things can get pretty pretty out of hand pretty fast uh from stories i've heard and people i've talked to um 
like like yourself, you know, it's uh, it's definitely not something to take lightly for sure. Absolutely. Um, now, eventually you did. Um, you were able to connect with parapsychologists and mediums and demonologists eventually, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Were they able to offer any helpful uh, perspectives uh, for you aside from just like move out of the house? <laughs> Yeah. So I, I, you know, I didn't really get to talk to people until like a decade later, maybe, maybe gotcha. longer than that, 15 years. Yeah. Uh, so I never connected while I was in the house okay. um, with anyone who could really help. My husband and then boyfriend, his father is actually a deacon now in the Orthodox church. At the time he was heavily involved in the church, but not in a capacity who he could do blessings or anything. And you'll hear about it in the show. He gave us some advice and some help. And one thing worked well. And the other one, made things worse. And that would be holy water. Um, what I would say to that is, unless you are somebody who is, you know, of the clergy of any kind, I don't recommend throwing holy water around. These things get just get real pissed off if you don't know what you're doing. It's a great idea and it makes sense. But I just feel like when you're going to try to do something to fix something, it's kind of like you wouldn't try to fix your own car. If you know nothing about cars, you'd hire a mechanic, like same principle. If you don't know what you're doing, don't just attempt it because it could just, you know, it could wreck things. And that went horribly wrong. But when I spoke to people many years later, as I was working on this podcast, you know, they all agreed the house is haunted, you know, um, for sure. Uh, you know, the demonologist I spoke with and he was a huge help, um, Michael Salerno, you know, uh, he mentioned something called spiritual sleep paralysis, which is different than classic sleep paralysis, which is essentially when something darker is messing with your soul. And that kind of made sense to me because other people kind of described the dream I was describing as astral projection, as if I left my own body. Um, and I never thought of it that way. But if it, it was spiritual sleep paralysis, that makes sense because essentially my soul was what was leaving my body, if you believe in such things, and sitting on that couch. And that's why I could feel so much. It's also why it affected my physical body back in my bed. Um, so, but you know, the the reoccurring theme is A, yeah, that's one heck of a haunted house. And B, yeah, it sounds like a demon. Yeah, definitely. Um did you become aware of any other similar stories in Kent or any kind of local uh, urban legend and folklore that had similar uh, occurrences happening or you know, anything like that? Not particular to our story, but what I did learn is that there was quite a bit of folklore about the house in general, all the way to the historical society. I mean, at one point you hear about me and Amber going to the historical society and without us even giving our address, they knew what house it was which means that people have people in the city know what house this is. Yeah, like it's if got you, a reputation. <laughs> it's got a reputation and they knew about it, but the information they had was completely wrong, you know? Um, so it's really hard to know where did this come from? Why is it there? It's a huge mystery. One I'd love to resolve. I hope someday to be able to get, I mean, it sounds crazy, but I would be willing to go back with the team and try to for once nail down what is in this home for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely something something like that. <laughs> Maybe call up Zach Baggins or something. <laughs> yeah, because or not, but <laughs> yeah, because I just feel like I know for a fact. Like if if we went back, especially me, you know what's there, I know for a fact it's still there. So I know that it would be like she's back. Like let's do this, and I think there's a lot of activity that could be gathered, but it would also be 
could we figure out what's there and why is it there? Is it that symbol on the basement wall? You know, is that what did it? Um, Because I am very fearful when something can pull you down the stairs. What can't it do? Right. So my fear is that the wrong person of the wrong mindset would be there. And this thing takes them over and, you know, they take their own life or someone else's or who knows. So whatever's there is certainly when the right cocktail of a person comes in and I was pretty close there myself, I think it could be a real disaster. So, yeah. Yeah. Again, tread lightly for sure. Um, Was there any time where there was ever like a feeling or threat of like anybody in the house undergoing like a possession or anything like that? So one of the scariest things about making this podcast, this is the first time I went, Ooh, I was talking to Michael Salerno and he goes, you do realize you were almost possessed, right? You were in the stage of oppression. You were like days away from possession. And oh, it gives me chills just saying it. Um, and when he said that, and I thought about the whole thing and I went, Oh yeah, I was almost possessed. Wasn't I? which was always the biggest fear in the world for me. For some reason, the idea of possession is horrifying, but when you're going through it, you don't know you're getting possessed. You don't know you're in that process, Right. but you, there were moments. Um, and I talk about it in the show where it was as if in that movie, get out when he goes to the sunken place or whatever, something would jump me and I would feel my physical self as if I got pushed to the back of my skull and I was like microscopic, like looking out my own eyes and I could feel something else like using my body briefly. And then I could push myself kind of back out yeah. and I'd have no memory of what was said or done. I'd have zero memory of what I was doing, why I was doing it, what I was saying. Um, and other people kind of, I think, experienced it as well. Like Amber had these crazy mood changes with no memory of what she was saying or doing. Adam, who is the most passive person, would get in these rages and fights and have no memory of these arguments. Even to this day, I'll bring it up and he'll be like, I still cannot remember what you're talking about. Like, that was not me. And I'm like, it was you. We all saw you. Like, Amber was there. We were there. And he's like, but it wasn't me. I have no memory. So whatever was in that house was certainly attempting to try to possess people. And I think I was its best target because it knew I... I was the first one that could sense it, could see it, could feel it, you know, and it was like, that's, that's the one I want the most. And thankfully that didn't actually happen, but I think it was pretty close. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, wow. It's a, it's a, it's a <laughs> hard to put words to it. There's a, it's definitely a very in, intense and disturbing, uh, story and ex- experience for sure. And there's, I'm not sure if, you know, haunted houses are, uh, similar to like, you know, different window areas of, of high strangeness or, or anything like that. But, you know, the more you look into this kind of phenomena, you realize that there's like different nodes around the world where this stuff seems to happen more frequently. Have you ever looked into anything like that or like ley lines in, in the area that may be uh, causing the veil to thin for entities like this to come through and mess mess around (laughs) yeah you know lloyd talked about a lot of what we were experiencing sounded like it could be and again i think i'd have to have a team there to test it like you know magnetic fields like you're talking about like those like ley lines and things 
Um, it's also not that far from a, a running river. Um, and the whole bottom of the house is made of stone, which, you know, a lot of people know that stone, especially if it's limestone or certain types of stone can hold a lot of energy. The whole foundation is literally in the basement stone, like old stone. So I certainly feel that knowing the history of the just the land itself and its location, I would not be surprised something is supercharged in that house, whether it is the stone, whether it's laying on something, whether it is make you know magnetic fields or anything, there's certainly something giving it extra energy. And then I think when the right person comes into the environment, I always say to people, you know, demons aren't going to screw with people that don't believe in them. What's the fun? Like, you know, like they have nothing to gain from messing with with someone who's like, whatever, like, but people that they can possess, people that they can manipulate, control to play with. It's like they just sit around waiting and someone comes in, they go, now that's worth my time. I'm going to come up now and play with this person. So I think that that's why in a house like this, some people's, you know, experiences were mild and some were incredibly spicy because I think it just depends on who's in that environment and what kind of energy they have or what does this thing want from them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And what's kind of, did you ever get any kind of idea of what the end goal was for this entity? Uh, I honestly believe that its goal was to make people take their own life because I became very depressed in this house. I became very withdrawn. Is the first time I ever thought suicidal thoughts. I know I wasn't alone in that. I mean, this isn't in the show as well, but during the making of the podcast, um, you'll hear about Lane and this boyfriend, and she's going to end up being in the room at the bottom of the stairs. And, you know, before going into the house, he was not a good person, but he wasn't violent. As soon as he got in the house with Lane, which she kept very well hidden from the rest of us, he was a very violent person to the point he was choking her out till she would almost die, like pass out. After leaving the house, she said he never changed or went back to the way that he was. And during the making of the podcast, I get a phone from Lane crying, going, you're not going to believe it. I knew what was in the house changed him forever. His being in the house changed him forever. But and I knew this was possible, but no way. And he ended up being um, put away for life for murder, wow. a very brutal homicide. And Lane knew that she feels, I should say, that whatever was in the house changed him from being a bad guy to an evil person. And that stuck with him. And then he just continued on that path. And literally, while I'm making the podcast, I get a call from her. She goes, he's put away for life for murder, a brutal homicide. And I went, not shocking. So again, when you ask, what did the house want? That's certainly one of them. I'm sure whatever's there went, yes, okay, finally, it's paying off. You know, like I got someone to do something really bad. Um, but I think more than anything, it wants people to take their own lives or hurt each other in the house if possible. Yeah. And perhaps it gets some kind of energy to keep going on from that. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Um, what, what kind of advice we kind of briefly touched on it, but what kind of advice would you have for people who are finding themselves in situations like this, who people who may be believers or, or not believers, you know, it's, it's a shocking thing to experience your first kind of paranormal uh, occurrences. Yeah. The first piece of advice I would give everyone is it's not a demon. So I'm going to start with that. People always, when they experience paranormal activity, jump to evil, malicious, demonic, always. And here's why, just so I can give a context for you all. 
not everybody has experienced as much paranormal activity in their life as I have. And what I can tell you is a majority of what's out there is not a demon. It is not evil. It is not malicious. Just know that a ghost in in death is the same person that they were in life. So if they were a grumpy old man in life, they're going to be a grumpy old man in death. If they like things neat and organized in life, they're going to want things neat and organized in death. It doesn't change. And when you can't see something, of course, it's startling. Of course, it scares you. Um, but I think there's plenty of times where a, an entity walks in a room and opens a door and thinks no one's home and you're sitting there and you go, ah, and when the door opens and they go, oh, ah, there's someone here. Like, I think that a lot of times it's just miscommunication. So my first piece of advice is don't jump to evil demons and all that, because it usually really is not. And I've learned that in my many years of encounters with things. It really is very rare that it actually is. I think we hype it up in movies and on TV. But demons have a greater cause of purpose. Not that I know what that necessarily is. They don't mess around with your average Joe. Like They don't care. I hate to tell you that they don't care about you. They care about people that they can really mess with and get something from. It's not to say that you're not going through that. And if you are, reach out to someone like Michael Salerno. Reach out to a demonologist. Reach out to people in, in churches that you have faith in. Um, reaching out to a church if you don't believe in church isn't always going to help you because those things are going to know that it holds no power for you. So, But look to those resources for darker stuff. Go to the people who do that for a living. If it's just an entity, first thing I say is set boundaries with it. Talk to it. It can hear you. You know, say, look, man, you startled me. You startle me when you when you push the chair in. You startle me when you open my cabinet. I understand that you're here and I don't want you to feel like I don't know you're here. I know you're here. But listen, give me my space and I'll give you yours. Try not to scare me because when you scare me, it upsets me or it upsets my kids. So you can have the attic. You can have the basement. You can have this space. Give them something and say, this is for you. You can you can have whatever. Oh, I was like, there, hit that. Um, you can hit whatever you can, or you can go wherever. This is your specific space. This is your time, you know, um, and communicate. And, and you'll find these things interact with you very quickly, you know, because know this, if you're not used to seeing a door open by itself or a chair move, that would scare the crap out of you. It'd scare the crap out of anybody. But if, if somebody you, that you could see, how many times has this happened in your life? You don't know that they came home and they open a door and you're like, oh, you startled me, you know, like, but you're not going to look at that person and go, you're a demon. It's because you can see them. They're a person you can see. These are people too. We just can't see them. So sometimes they're trying to communicate with you. Sometimes they're nervous. They don't know what to do. Why are you in my house? Why is it so dirty? Why did you put the dishes there? I keep them over there. Think about the activity that's happening, right? Because sometimes it's pretty clear the message they're sending. Um, and if you really think it's haunted and you don't know what to do, reach out to rep you like people that you can trust who are mediums and psychics. Know this. Plenty of people want to have abilities. Um, I'm kind of starting to learn how to control mine, but they can make things worse if they don't know what they're doing. Do not accidentally get a snake oil salesman. And there are plenty of them out there. Find people that you have heard through the grapevine have done amazing things, not just because they're famous, not because they're online, not because they charge you a ton of money. Who do you trust that has utilized this individual and what were the results and talk to them? But you can do little stuff, you know, keep your house light and bright. 
Fill it with positive energy. Fill it with things that make you happy, that make your area positive, that make everything feel good. If you're doing renovations, a ghost might get really angry. Talk to them. Say, look, I know we're working on the house and you don't like it, but we're making it better so it stays around for a long time. This is helpful to you. And sometimes just doing that, boom, activity stops. So those are, that's some of my advice. Great. That is solid advice for sure. Now, um, do you have anything planned for the future of the show? Are you going to be adding to it? You have just the 13 episodes out now, uh, or are you going to pivot to other stories, maybe talking to other people who have had experiences with this kind of stuff? Absolutely. So my second season is going to be all stories with, for the majority people I know, because when you're the person who has had the most paranormal activity, uh, your family, your friends, even acquaintances, as soon as they know it's you, they're like, I've got a story for you. Can I tell it to you? You know, like, it's like you're a priest in confession, you know, it's paranormal confession. So everybody wants to come to me and tell me their story. So second season is going to be a collection of friends and family stories ranging from really extreme hauntings to really funny stuff. Um, and then some bigger names on the show, some famous artists and fashion designers and people that I've met or know, um, you know, that maybe you don't usually get to hear from, uh, you know, and so that's really cool. And um, a couple of listener stories tossed in as well. And then I'm already, I, you know, we'll see what happens with this, but I've got another big case cooking similar to season one, not with me, but with another couple. And if I can gather enough information and evidence, I hope to one day be able to do another season like season one about this story. But I'm very much, I really have a vetted process. I do very much treat it from a journalistic perspective. So I've got to get enough evidence and things for me to really take it on, but it's, it's trending that way. So hopefully down the road someday we'll have another season like season one. But uh, in the meantime, you're going to be hearing stories from all kinds of folks. So if you're out there and you have a paranormal story that's really freaky and you want to share it with anyone, please uh, reach out to me because I'd love to hear it. Great. Great. Well, thanks again for coming on to the show today, Lindsay. It was great to have you on. This is a, a very uh, spooky, <laughs> spooky episode for sure. Um, can you tell my listeners where they can, where the best places are to find you online, where to listen to your show? Yeah. So the Chilling Podcast is basically available just about everywhere. You'll know it when you see it. It's a red, spooky looking house um, for the logo. Uh, but you can also go to www dot the chilling podcast.com. Um, I've got, uh, you know, a place you can reach out to me if you've got a spooky story, but also, you know, pictures about, uh, and information about all the hosts, all the episodes you can listen there as well. Um, you can also follow me on Instagram at the chilling podcast. I post a lot of funny memes, but I also post a lot of evidence from the house or other stories. So be sure to check that out. And then I'm basically available to be listened to wherever you're streaming, Spotify, Apple, you name it. So again, just look for the chilling podcast podcast. Great. Thank you so much. And uh, Thank we'll you. talk to you later. Awesome. Thanks again to Lindsay for coming on the show. That was a harrowing experience for sure. Definitely check out her show, The Chilling, and I'll make sure to link it in the show notes. And it looks like she just dropped the first episode of her new season. So make sure you listen to all of season one first and then dive right in to the next episode. 
As always, I want to give a huge thank you to everyone out there who checks out the Strangeology podcast. Those of you who download it, share it with friends and family. It helps me out so much when you do that. We're streaming in so many parts of the world now, which is wild to think about. So thank you again so much wherever you are out there. The Strangeology podcast wouldn't be possible without the support of listeners like you. If you're interested in advertising on the Strangeology podcast or would like to collaborate, please send all business inquiries to info at strangeology.com. Alternatively, you can head to strangeology.com and go to the contact page and fill out the forms there. Listeners, I would love to hear your stories and encounters with the strange and unexplained. If you have an encounter with a cryptid, a UFO, a ghost, poltergeist, anything weird, I'd love to hear about it. You can leave me an email over on my website contact page or send it to info at strangeology.com. Alternatively, you can leave me a voicemail on the Strangeology hotline. The number there is 802-448-0612. The inbox has a two to three minute limit. So if your story goes on for longer than that, feel free to call back and continue where you left off. If you're also interested in coming on to the show for an interview to share your story, also get in touch in the previous methods mentioned. And if you haven't yet, make sure to give me a follow over on all of my social media accounts. You can find me on Instagram. That's my main headquarters base of operations online for social media, really. I'm also on Facebook, TikTok, Threads, X, and I'm also on YouTube. Definitely subscribe to me over there. I'm most active posting short form content on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Facebook gets thrown in there as well. So if you're looking for more content from me, definitely check that out. You can find what I'm doing pretty much anywhere. I've been working on a fun conspiracy theory series based on a conspiracy theory iceberg I found recently. So people seem to be enjoying that quite a bit, but still talking about all the other weird things out there as well. We like to have fun with social media and I also occasionally do giveaways. So you'll want to follow me on Instagram for sure for the next merch giveaway. And if you're looking for another way to support the Strangeology podcast, I do have a whole merch line. You can find my Etsy shop at strangeology.etsy.com, where I have a whole assortment of cryptid, alien, and Fortean gear available. I just dropped a brand new Area 51 design. It's a fun one. Definitely go check it out. My designs are available on t-shirts, hoodies, tank tops, long sleeves. I also have stickers, magnets, prints, hats, mugs, blankets, enamel pins, and a few more items. I do all my own designs and I'm always trying to find the time to do new designs these days and get those up as often as possible and always checking out and looking for cool new merch ideas and items to offer all of you listeners and followers out there. So again, that is strangeology.etsy.com. Links will be in the show notes. Check it out. All right. I think that's all from me for now. I'm going to take a quick break. And when I come back, Lindsay was able to 
hang around for quite a while longer for Strangeology Beyond, the members-only portion of the show, where she shared more encounters with the strange and unexplained from paranormal entities to even a Mothman sighting, so you won't want to miss it. Patrons, stick with me and for everyone else. Until the next time, take care of yourselves and each other and keep it strange. Welcome back to Strangeology Beyond for all the Patreon members.